I'm excited to bring a word. I, I am excited to bring a word uh, for you guys this morning. Um, we're going to continue with another instruction for the church. Uh, you guys ever hear the expression, easier said than done? Ever hear that? Easier said than done? Uh, the, the instruction that we're going after this morning uh, to be content is easier said than done. It's easier to say I'm content than to be content, than to, than to walk in contentment. Uh, God instructs us and commands us all throughout his word to, to be content, to be content. And e- each time we see that, that contentment, the, the call or command to contentment is paired um, with the call to be godly, to call to be holy. We're, we're called to be uh, content in living a godly life, content in, in Christ, that, that Christ would be enough. I'm not sure the, the English word content does, does a justice. I think just in the context of, of society, I don't know if we feel the weight of contentedness uh, like the original language. The Greek word uh, for, for content is autartis. Let's say, I'll say that together. It's really fun. Autartis. Is that how you say it, Darren? Atar- Am I close? Pretty good. Autartis. Um, which, which has much more of, a, of, a, of an internal possessing of unfailing satisfaction. To be enough. To be enough. Sufficient. So we're, we're going to look at today this command to be content in living a godly life. To be content uh, in being a godly life. That, that Christ is enough. That Christ is enough. Because all other um, things we are content in are false and temporary. And when I'm content in Christ, then I am content in everything. All right? So we're going to prove that today in God's Word. And before we open God's Word, uh, just as I was studying Philippians, we're going to be in Philippians 4, I was just kind of thinking there's a, I brought a couple wrong ways of thinking to the table that kind of was a roadblock for God's truth into my heart. Maybe you have these too. Uh, I, I think some of us, maybe I, I have this feeling sometimes that I think contentment isn't really that big of a deal, Right? I think it's kind of for people that are just okay with everything, like the go with the flow people, right? I'm not one of those. Um, you know, that, you know we'll, we'll get it eventually. And, and you, don't, you don't see that in God's word. Throw 1 Timothy 6.6 6 up there. Uh, you, see, you see now, now there's great gain in godliness with contentment. There's great gain in godliness, godliness with contentment. Very important. It's, 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 it's a high level. It's a big deal. Godliness with contentment. Contentment is a big deal. The other lie I think we believe, I think we sometimes think discontentment isn't a very big deal. We, we think that sin, it's kind of like a watered-down sin in the church, probably because everybody deals with it, right? But, but I say discontentment, and I don't, get as, I don't get the gross taste in my mouth that I get maybe when I talk about other sins, and I should, because discontentment is, is a big deal. It's a root that, that from it spurs lots of things. Selfishness, idolatry, lots of different things. Anger, control issues. So you must see that this is a big deal. This is a big deal. We, 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 there's some roadblocks that stand in our way. There's also this thing called the world that stands in our way of being content. content. You know, the world is constantly screaming at us not to be content. Not to be in content. Uh, between each other, without even trying sometimes, we're roadblocks for one another not to be content, right? Uh, I think of advertisements. Advertisements at the core of them are literally meant to choke out the prospect of contentment. That's literally the point. You think about it, right? You, you'll recognize some of these. Folgers, you guys want to sing it? The best part of waking up. 
Don't even, don't even sing the end of it because drinking a cup of coffee is not the best part of waking up. Right? It's not. It's not. That's a lie. That's not the best part of waking up. If you're in Christ, that's, that's not the best part of waking up. Have it your way, BK, right? Have it your way. That I need to have it my way to be content. I need to have it my way. I need to have my double whopper with cheese. Whatever it is, I need to have it my way. Look, the next one. Uh, I use a Gillette razor, so no condemnation for Gillette razors. Uh, but a best a man can get. That, that I need to have the best. That if I don't have the best, I won't be content. The last one, this is my favorite one. <laughs> Lexus, the pursuit of perfection. The pursuit of perfection. That if I don't have a $100,000 car sitting in my driveway, I haven't achieved perfection. I haven't achieved perfection. We see these things are all over, and we, we, we can laugh, but these are obstacles to following this instruction. But there's good news. There's good news. You guys come to church this morning for good news? Good. I hope you did, because I have some for you. God's Word has some for you. Uh, and it's this. Contentment is available to all in Christ. Contentment is available to all in Christ. There's no exceptions. It's completely available. We've been given some, some instructions. We're going to call it our playbook this morning. All right? The playbook to contentment. And, and God, and in contentment, God has placed more purpose than I think we've given credit to. So we're going to look at today the purpose and, and the playbook, the playbook and the purpose to contentment. All right? That's the title of the message. We're flipped it, if you're not at Philippians 4, uh, go ahead and flip to Philippians 4. This is Paul's letter to the church of Philippi. Uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, we see he's writing this letter uh, from a Roman prison. Okay? He's writing this letter from prison um, to a church that started back in Acts 16 by his hand. God, through Paul, started the church of Philippi when God broke him out of where? Jail. Paul's in jail a lot. He's writing a letter back to a church that started when God broke him out of jail, right? This is crazy, and he's writing this, but it's been 10 years, okay? It's been, it's been some time, and he's writing this letter back, and, and we can see throughout the whole book. Go read Philippians this week. I would encourage you to do that. It's just an awesome book. Four chapters packs a huge punch, overflowing with rejoicing and thankfulness, this call to live a godly life, celebrating a church that has people doing awesome things in it. It's an awesome book. So I would encourage you to go read it uh, this week. We're going to start at the end. We're going to see Paul's last words to this church. We'll start in verse 4 of Philippians 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is excellence in the... If, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be in you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Let's just take a, take a time out. We've got to get some, some context, a little more context on this before we finish. Uh, we see this first, first verse 4 through 9 is this big exhortation. Then Paul kind of takes the narrative. 
And, and he says, you revived your concern for me. The, the whole reason why this letter is being sent is because Epaphrodite brought this offering, this gift from, from Philippi to, uh, to Rome, okay? Uh, because when Paul left Philippi, remember in Acts 16, we're there that, this year, when he left, we know he went to some other places, right? We, he went to to Thessalonica, and he went to Corinth, and he went to Berea, all these places. And while he went to all of these places, this church supported him. Okay, they gave, they took offerings for him. Okay, but now there has been some time. It's clear there's been a period where he hasn't received anything from them. Okay, so, so he's rejoicing that they have revived their concern. They've taken this offering, and, and it's arrived in Rome. All right, let's finish, finish the chapter. Now, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and, and hunger, ab- abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for, for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me, with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. All right, we're going to go back and we're going to attack this verse for worse. But I just want to read the whole thing through. This is a powerful passage. We see in verses 4 through 9, again, that first part, that's, that's our playbook. Okay, those are our instructions. We see Paul very prescriptive on the things that we should do. All right, and then in, in the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 10, we see that's, that's the purpose. Paul takes the narrative, and he said, this is, this is what God has done in my heart. This is the why, okay? So we, bo- we need both the, the playbook and the purpose. Don't leave here today with just the purpose and don't know how to do it. And then don't leave here today with, I got to do all these things, but then you forgot why. We need both the playbook and the purpose. Sound good? All right. Starting at verse 4, it says, again, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. He has to say it again. Your reasonableness be known to everyone. I, I, I just think about worship when I, when I read those, right? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Rejoice always. That means rejoice when you're by yourself. Rejoice when people are around. We need to worship personally to come here and worship corporately, don't we? Right? If I don't worship the Lord all week, I, don't, I, I can't just walk into Kellogg Middle School and flip the worship switch on my heart. Right? I, I have to be grateful. I have to see the Lord Working, see the Lord doing these things. I, I must do that. Uh, so let my reasonableness be known to everyone. Count my blessings. It's, it's reasonable for Paul to be joyful because he knows that he has a life in Christ. If you think about that, it's kind of crazy that he uses this word reasonableness. This guy is in prison right now and he's rejoicing. We wouldn't say that's very reasonable. But he says your reasonableness is different than the world's reasonableness. Let it be known to everyone. Rejoice in the Lord. And he, and he says this in, in verse 6. He says, don't be anxious. Lean into prayer. Lean into prayer. Lean in to making my request for God. You know, really talking a lot about our mind, isn't he? Right? Have a mind to see the things that God is doing. Have a mind not to worry. Anxiousness is a battle of our mind. 
as a battle of our mind. Have, raise your hand if you've uh, worried about something, uh, you know, lost some sleep over something, been, you know, distracted, worried about something that uh, never happened. Okay. Yeah, right? A lot of times we've lost sleep over something, we've been distracted, everyone has, right? And, and, then, it, and then it never comes to pass. But then sometimes it does, right? Because I, I bet everyone who rose their hand, which was everyone, I bet you've worried, you've been anxious about something, and then it did happen, right? It did happen. Maybe it was worse, Right? Maybe it was worse. Maybe the thing that you lost sleep over, that you played through your mind a thousand times, the reality of it was actually, was actually worse. It was ex- or it was exactly the same, but you couldn't do anything to stop it. We all have had that happen too. Right? And then, and then what happens is, is your, your mind is affirmed. Right? Your worries. I knew it. I, I knew it. I, I, was, I knew that was going to happen. Right? Your mind is affirmed and so starts the snowball of anxiety, rolling down the hill, rolling down the hill. As God calls us to lay a foundation for contentment, we have to know, friends, that we can't outthink our anxiety or our worry. We can't outthink that. Verse 6 does not say, don't be anxious by thinking more or by thinking about the last time or thinking what you can do. It does not say that. My mind circling affirmed in itself is not my ally, it's my enemy. It really is. I, I, I am desperate for something outside of my, my mind, outside of myself. And that thing, that thing is Christ. Right? That thing is, is leaning in, praying, letting my request be made known to God, rejoicing, leaning in. That's, that's what breaks the stronghold, stops the snowball. The playbook, the first play, is, is to have a mind that leans in, have it set my mind on Christ. Have a mind that's set on Christ. That's number one. Set my mind on Christ. That's our first play. Verse 7 says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. I love that. I'm desperate. You are desperate for something beyond our understanding. It says, it says it, the peace of God surpasses understanding. We're, we're desperate for that. Something only God can do. I must lean on him to change my heart and and desires. And good news, he's very willing and qualified to do it. To be content, I must set my mind on Christ. I must set my mind on Christ because it is the best thing that I can do. It is the most effective thing that I can do. It is the most worshipful thing I can do. We have the perfect playbook to pursue contentment. Set my mind on Christ, praying, reading God's word, worshiping, seeing God's hand in it all, all right? Because we've heard all these things before. But, but I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be able to go an hour, ten minutes, one minute, without seeing God's hand in something. It might be his word. It might be a word that comes to my mind. It might be in creation. It might be in a brother or sister, my own heart, a song on the radio, what that person says, whatever it is. But I need to see the Lord constantly. I need to set my mind on Christ. I need to set my mind on Christ. I love, I love this, this list of things in verse 8. Isn't that just an epic list? Look at that list, guys. It's whatever is pure, whatever is just, whatever is honorable, whatever is commendable. You, you, you know, I, I look at this and I look out and I see some pretty commendable people. I see people growing in, in, in purity. Guess, this, this list is talking about what, what, what is God, right? What is godly? Because anything we have on this list was given to us by God, wasn't it? was given to us by the Lord. We're charged with considering these things, investing into these things. 
leaning in, intentionally washing my mind with what is good. Because bad thoughts, I don't have to be intentional with those coming into my mind. I need to be intentional with setting my mind on these things. I need to be overwhelmed by who God is, how good he is. I, I need to meditate on the word of it. Uh, every, every, every verse, every word of God's word is true. It proves true. It is reliable. I need to set my mind on that. His, his plan, his sacrifice, the power of the Holy Spirit. When I see more of who God is, when, when, when God widens my gaze, then, then I believe more. I believe deeper. I believe increasingly. And, and we need to believe increasingly. I need to set my mind on Christ to increasingly believe the truth. Okay? Whether, whether you're a, a seminary scholar or, or you gave your life to Christ last week. All right? We're not talking about a head knowledge right now. I need to increasingly believe the truth. Uh, let me ask, ask you this question. What is something you believe, what is something you know about God or believe today that you didn't three months ago or, or six months ago? I have to set out to know the Lord afresh every day. If I walked in here without the presupposition that, that there were truths, there were things about God that I didn't know yet, look at, look at how big God is. That, is. that is not good. That's not good. He's huge. He wants to show us. And if you answer no to that question, if you said, no, I, I think I'm about in the same spot with knowing God six months ago. Well, lean in today. Lean in, open the word of God, open your heart to know, because remember, he is very willing and very qualified. He's not trying to hide himself. So, so lean into that. We must know that. We see this in verse 9. It says not just hearing, but receiving it, practicing it, living it out. We can't just put our beliefs on the shelf. Being, being content is not just being okay with resting in what we've always believed, okay? And I'm not saying, I'm not telling you to cycle through your beliefs, all right? We have to hold firm to what is true. I'm talking about going deeper in them. Why? Why? Right? Why does God, why does God say what he says? Right? Going deeper in them. Right? God wants to show himself. So, so when we have to make a defense, we, we can actually do that. We've all been in a spot where we've had to make a defense of God's word, and we're like, uh, because my pastor's always told me, to, right? Like, have you been there before? Like, go deeper in that. Go deeper in that. But increasingly believe the truth. We see, and in, in, in this is awesome, in describing his own story and own journey to be content in verses 11 and 12, Paul uses this same word. He uses a, the, the word learned. Learned. Uh, it's a, it says he, he learned in whatever situation. It says he learned the secret. It, it, Paul never arrived at contentment, okay? He wasn't anointed with contentment. He learned it, and that should be encouraging to us today. As a, as a guy who's... <laughs> Like this week, I'm like, I don't really get this contentment thing, and I'm about to stand on in front of a bunch of people. And I read this, and I was like, oh, yeah, we're, we learn this. Learn this. He learned it. He learned it through the playbook. He learned it by having his mind on Christ. He learned it by increasingly believe, believing the truth. Be encouraged and take heart because God is willing to grow us in this. We need to learn. We need to learn it. So that's the playbook. Set my mind on Christ and increasingly believe the truth. Now the purpose. Now the purpose. We see verse 10 start in, in, a, in a familiar way, just like verse 4. Paul is what? What is he doing? He's rejoicing, right? I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now that you're at length. And, and I, I spent some time reading all of Philippians this week. I read it through a couple times. 
just an awesome book. You see a lot of rejoicing in Philippians. He starts every new thought. He's like rejoicing. Uh, We throw a couple of these verses on here. Uh, We see he starts the whole letter with this. I thank God, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my pr- for y'all are making my prayer with joy. Philippians 1, 3, and 4. Later in that chapter, it says this, What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I love that. If Christ is proclaimed, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and with the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as I sit in prison right now. And then this one. <laughs> Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He's talking about that same offering as in verse four. He's saying, even if like, you think about that. Even if all of these gifts that you just brought, Paul's like on his way to, or they're on his way to his jail cell and they kill him before the gifts get there. Still rejoice. Your labor wasn't in vain. That's what that's saying. Rejoice. Rejoice in all. Remember verse 4. Rejoice in anything and everything. Anything and everything. We see no matter what, I'm to rejoice. We, we see from, from this section of scripture that, that joy is much more uh, an attitude than a feeling. Joy is much more an attitude than a feeling. And, and, and we need to have that attitude regardless of what we are feeling Right, because sometimes I, I need I'm called to have have joy in Christ in my celebration. Sometimes I'm called to have joy in Christ in my sorrow. But I must have joy. In chapter four, we see his joy pure. We see his joy joy is is pure. I, I rejoice, Lord, greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me. So what he's saying is, even though you didn't send me anything for those five years, I know, I know you were still concerned for me. I, I know you were still praying for me. You just didn't have the opportunity. Think about what Paul could have said. His life hasn't been that sweet in the last four or five years when he hasn't gotten a gift. He could have been like, hey, when you weren't taking any offerings or weren't given to me, when, when you weren't doing that, I was getting beaten. I was getting thrown in jail. I was going hungry. Could have said that, but he doesn't say that. He says, I'm, I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing that you've given to me, but, but even, if, even if I didn't receive this, I'd be rejoicing. I'd be rejoicing. My joy is permanent. That is the first purpose. And my joy is permanent. I must see my joy. Contentment is marked by joy continually and permanently. My joy is permanent. If I'm in Christ, if I'm, per, if I'm in Christ, I'm permanently in Christ which means I have permanent joy. My joy is permanent. It's a purpose of contentment. I can't have contentment if I see joy as something that's just available for one day or one season or one hour, that I can't have it till it's over or can't have it until that starts. If I run from one spiritual high to another, run, run from one experience to another, I can't, that, that isn't joy. Think about, think about if Paul thought joy was that. This guy stood face to face with Jesus Christ. That's quite an experience. Anything after that, that's going to be a letdown. It's a big letdown, isn't it? Must, must see joy as something that transcends our experience, transcends our feelings. It's an attitude. He affirms this joy. And he says in verse 11, I'm not, I'm not speaking in need. I, I've learned in every situation to be content. To be content. You're not, you're not in need. You're not in need, Paul, really? You're, you're in prison, man. Like, 
Couldn't you at least say, hey, I need, I need God to, God, could you do what you did last time? I'm in need of the Lord. Last time God sent an earthquake and broke, and broke the prison doors. Paul doesn't even say that. He says, I don't even need that to happen. I don't need that. Paul sees his needs as met because in his permanent joy, what he's talking about is his permanent needs. You see that? He's permanently joyful, so his eyes are on his permanent needs. And he knows, he knows that whether he dies today whether he, he suffers uh, one more day or another 10 years, that in the light of eternity, all his needs are met. All his needs are met. His joy is permanent. Continues in, in verse 12. It says, In every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So we, we stand in the spectrum of, of feast or famine, right? Plenty or, or hunger, abundance and need. We sat in the spectrum. And, and a lot of times that spectrum is outside our control, Right? And, and he said, in either way, whatever I face, the, the, the secret is the same. The, the, what I face is the same. I face the battle to be content. I face the battle to be content, whether I'm facing feast or fan, famine. Both ends of the spectrum were charged with the same thing, to be content. To be content. We're charged to see our circumstances and situations as what they are, irrelevant. Irrelevant. That's the purpose of contentment, that I would see my joy as permanent, my my joy is permanent. I would see my, my situation is irrelevant. My situation is irrelevant. Let's, let's, let's look at a, a physical example. Let's look at money. Everyone always looks up when I say money. <laughs> money. Uh, think, about, think about the spectrum of, 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 of having money. Okay? There are some of you that sit here right now um, and uh, you're comfortable when it, when it comes to money. Okay? You don't look at your bank account uh, on your payday to make sure it goes in there. Okay? You, make, you can make a lot of different decisions without having to not do things, and, and that's, that's okay. And then, and then there are some of you that sit am, among us um, that aren't sure about groceries next week, who have uh, voicemails and uh, their mailboxes stuffed full of letters with bills you're not sure if you're going to be able to pay. Two ends of the spectrum, right? Okay, maybe even sitting in the same row right now. What, what, what we see here, what God's word is saying here, that, that although on two different ends of the spectrum, completely different, you face the same challenge. You face the same challenge to be content. The same obstacle. Your situation is irrelevant. Because if you're on this side, if you don't have anything, when I don't have anything, the obstacle to be content is thinking that all of that stuff will make me content. And if I have the stuff, when I have this stuff, the obstacle is, is, is becoming content in the stuff, not becoming the content in what's permanent in Christ. We face the same obstacle to be content. To be content. We must be able to live with little. That's, that's why God's word says as, as an application from contentment that we must be able to live with little. Even if, even if we are living with a lot, that's okay. But, but be able to live with little, right? Be able to live with little, or God in his mercy. God in his mercy will take it, take it away, right? I think of the pockets of, of selfishness God has opened up in my life at times where, where something has been taken away, and I didn't realize that I liked it as much as I did, right? God, that's God's mercy. Um, let's, apply, let's apply this situation as irrelevant to relationships. Relationally, <sighs> Uh, we have single people at our church. We have lots of single people at our church. I love that. I, I love that. I get to work with, with single men 
Um, and a lot of single women, I get to work with a lot of single women, um, and I learn a lot from them. Uh, I really do. God shows me a lot through them. And often God shows me a lot through them through uh, their, their contentment in, in, in life and sometimes in singleness, okay? Men too, but I'm, I'm just kind of addressing women right now because I, I think this is an issue at times. Men have their whole other list of issues and we could talk about that on a different day, Okay? But, but, but I, I say this in love because I've, I've seen how God works through that. And I've also seen just pain and, and struggle and, and it's tough. Um, but I, I tell this to you, if you know Christ, if, if you're in Christ uh, and you're discontent in your single life, you will be discontent in your marriage. You will be. And God's command to you to be content, your situation is irrelevant. Because here is why. Your future husband will not hit every checkbox you have for him. He will not lay that down. Your joy is permanent. There will be things your husband does that will not bring you joy. You put a wet towel on the bed, right? Uh, You compare her food to your mother's. Right? Don't do that. Don't do that, guys. Don't. Seriousness. Um, I remember the first time that I had to confess a sin that Shauna didn't know about to her. I didn't. That wasn't. That wasn't bringing her joy. He will let you down as you him. Contentment has to be learned. We don't arrive there. Don't think on your wedding day you arrive there. Okay. I've never been to a wedding where they said, "I now pronounce you husband, wife, and content." not happening. Honor the Lord. It's, 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 it's God glorifying to pursue a husband and pursue a wife. But know that while increasingly believing the truth that Christ is enough. That Christ is enough. Last, last example, what about your job situation? But what about your career, your job? Uh, you know, if, if, I go for, and if I go from job to job without ever really evaluating where my heart is at with contentment, where, where it's at with satisfaction in the Lord, I'm just putting a band-aid on I'm just putting a Band-Aid. I'm going job, job. That, those same issues are going to arise at the next place. They might look differently. Instead of being the boss, it'll be the hours or the job description, whatever it'll be, right? But I will go from, from job to job. Millennials change, fa- change jobs a lot, right? They, and they change jobs faster than last, last. The fastest thing I could think of is how fast Steve Diedrich drives the flapdoodles. So <laughs> millennials change jobs faster than Steve Diedrich drives the flapdoodles. Tweet that. <laughs> we have a contentment problem. I know this because I have a contentment problem. Uh, I struggled with uh, working in the business world, contentment in, in, in my job, uh, before I felt God calling me into ministry. And then when God called me into ministry, I really struggled with, with contentment. Okay, I really did. I, a, a year went by, and I was still in my business job without opportunity, and I was like, what is going on? I thought it was just part of the calling, like this thing I'm just supposed to, like, bear up under, like this, this discontentment. No, 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 no. Until somebody who knew my situation said this to me. He said, well, well, you know, well, if you suck at it, you're still young, and you can go to something else. I'm like, that, that's, that's what the turning point was? But it made me think. It made me think that, that what was I hooking what was I hitching my, my contentment to? What was I hitching my, my future to? Everything that, that just because an opportunity opened didn't mean that everything was going to be released. Like, 
it, it really did. Like, this, it wasn't like an end-all, be-all thing. When I got this opportunity, when I walked through that door, it was a merciful lesson that God taught me. Right? And it was another six months after that until I started working at Harvest. And, and there are still days I'm discontent in my job. But I, I've learned and continue to learn that walking out the door won't help. So be willing to see when this might be true for you in your life. Apply it to your situation. We've applied it with money and relationships with jobs. But again, at the end of the day, if you're not content in Christ, you're not content in anything. Okay? And when you're content in Christ, you're content in all. You must know that. Because maybe you walked in here, and, and I know there are people who walked in here, and they're like, money, relationships, jobs, that is nothing compared to what I'm dealing with. Maybe it's a family member or your health or something. But like, I, I'm not content in life right now. And, and you're thinking, like, you're beyond the range that applies to this. Like, I always want to be the outlier, like the thing that, that is like the loophole. There are no loopholes in God's word, okay? What is truth is truth. And the truth is your situation is irrelevant. You're relevant because you're right. I don't know your situation. I don't. But God does. God knows it. And, and I love this. God isn't saying your situation is irrelevant because he doesn't care, Okay? He's saying your situation is irrelevant because I'm better than whatever it is. That I'm good in whatever it is. That I have purpose through whatever it is. I, I, I gotta know that. I gotta know that. And, and as a church, if that is you, like we will come around you and pray for you, encourage you, comfort you. That is, that is our calling. But, but I, it's not in our power to make you content. That's, in, that's a God thing. We'll push you to the playbook. Set your mind on Christ. Increasingly believe the truth. We have to know that. We have to know that. So, so I, I would just say, if that is you right now, look around. God has gotten you to a place where 200 Bibles are open, around a bunch of people who are worshiping the Lord, rejoicing among the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is here. Be confident and listen. Listen to the truth. The truth. We see the, the truth is that, that by, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, you can be saved, you can have a relationship. And that, and that will bring permanent joy and, and, and stay true regardless of your situation. Regardless. Uh, the truth is that, that your strength, your strength is, is found in Christ. And we see that in, as we continue in Philippians 4. It says, it says that, right? You guys know that verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me? <laughs> oh. that verse is taken out of context maybe more than any other verse in all of scripture um, it, it's not talking about anything different here we're still talking about the situation being relevant it's not talking about being empowered to do your thing alright have to know that we see verse 12 remember the secret to facing the best and the worst all of these things I can face my situation irrelevant because Christ strengthens me not to get me to the next thing Okay, but to meet me where I'm at and sometimes keep me where I'm at. Sometimes endure. I must know that. <laughs> Philippians 4.13 becomes an obstacle to our contentment when we start using it to, for empowerment. Think about that. When I'm going into a big exam, I haven't studied, I can't just sprinkle some Christ, Philippians 4.13 on it, right? I can't do that. It doesn't work. Okay? I think it's safe to say the Apostle Paul would be surprised to see those words as a caption on a picture of me finishing a marathon. And you're like, I th I'd be surprised to see you finish a marathon. <laughs> me too. 
Be grateful for the word of God proclaimed anytime, anywhere, right? He says, whatever. If the Christ is proclaimed, I will rejoice. Rejoice. But, but that doesn't mean we should fly by the truth on, on what God wants to download to here. The purpose. The purpose. That contentment is not guaranteeing some personal win. It's not. It, it, we must lean into the Lord to change our perspective to see the purpose of being content. That it's not about my situation. That my calling for me to be content is not about me. That me being content is not about me. Man. Look at verse 16. It says, even in Thessalonica, you sent, you sent me, me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Huh. Paul, Paul's saying this. I, I, you, you sent me help for my needs once and again. But, but I, and, and, I, and I asked for it. I wasn't seeking the gift. I was seeking the fruit that comes from being generous. It's not about the gift. It's not about my situation. This isn't about me. This, this changes everything when we read this. We see the, what's under the hood of all of Paul's rejoicing. He's not rejoicing over personal gain. He's not rejoicing over material benefit. He's rejoicing over the spiritual growth that God ensures for people who give. We see being content is, is not about just sitting on my hands in a bubble, satisfied while other people struggle. It, it's about being uh, preoccupied with others' needs, being preoccupied with where others are at. We must know that. Counting others more significant than myself. When, when you've been given the eyes to see your joy as permanent and your situation as irrelevant, you are an unstoppable force for God. That is the truth. You are an unstoppable force. And that's the third purpose, that others will see my example. Others will see my example. An example of selflessness and hope. This is a game changer, you guys. Suddenly this whole instruction to be content is infused with more meaning, isn't it? It's, it's infused in, with the perspective that, that hey, other, other, God has intended others to rely on my example, on my example of, of my situation being irrelevant, of my, my joy being permanent. Just think about, think about one of those examples that we talked about. Whatever example pricked your heart the most, think about that one, okay? We'll take singleness, all right? Maybe you have walked that battle for a long time. You've been single for years. You've desired a husband or a wife, but God has not provided one. And you've walked this. You're walking it now. I submit to you that your battle to be content completely changes when you walk alongside or pour into a young man or younger woman looking at you, seeing your example. What would it do? What would it do for them? What would it do if they saw you live a life that says, I'm single, not because the world sucks, not because I'm not worthy, not because of bad choices I've made. I'm single because God is good. Right? What would that do? What kind of witness would that be? We must see the purpose in our example in, in the worst and the best. Think about the best of situations as well. When we're in the best of situations, we become a stumbling block to other, others' contentment as well. What is, what is the, at the root of our celebration? I, I think of people following you on social media. You know, when, when they follow me on social media, do they see an example of somebody who'd be content regardless of the situation? Or am I a stumbling block for, some, for rejoicing in something that, that somebody will never have or won't ever have? I'm not saying you can't celebrate, but, but the people that really know you, okay, 
the people that really know you, would they know that you would celebrate in, in something regardless of what you had? We must, we must know that. And we can't be responsible. I'm not saying that you can't put on Facebook that your kid rode a bike or your kid took a foot first steps or took his first poop in the toilet. Put that on Facebook. It's awesome, right? Celebrate, rejoice, okay? I'm talking about the people that really know you. Is your heart rejoicing at the things of God, the permanent things, irrelevant to the situation? Get it? Purpose matters. I'm pretty fired up about this because God hit me with just this heavy truth this week. I used to think the fact that I struggled with contentment was because, like, I'm a driver. Like, I like to, I'm a doer. I'm asleep when you're dead type of guy. Uh, I used to think that was why. I was just, like, predisposed to struggle with it. No, no, no. God showed me that, that I, I think I knew the playbook. I, I knew to be content. You walked in here probably knowing that, that we should be content. But I, I knew the instruction, but I, I completely forgot the pur- a purpose. I forgot the purpose that goes beyond myself. I forgot the contentment wasn't about me. I, I'm, I'm praying that God makes that clear to some of you as well. I, I am. That's a, that's a sweet and merciful thing. It's a sweet and merciful thing that our contentment isn't about us. It sounds harsh, but it's not. It's really not. It's, it's like a dump truck of hope dropped on something that our wheels have been just turning in. A bunch of hope that to get outside of ourselves. We must know this. We see in verse 19... Paul, Paul finishes declaring this promise. He says, he says this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in, glo- in glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. I love this. My God will supply all of your needs. Paul isn't even talking about his needs anymore. He, he, he's, now, he's now saying, hey, like you're learning through my example that that your stuff doesn't matter, that I've been given these things, but that's, he's the same God for you too. He's the same God for you too. That the purpose would be others would see my example to know that God will supply, to know that God will be enough, to know that Christ is enough, to know Christ is enough. That is contentment, isn't it? To Christ is enough. Contentment is contagious. When I am content, that encourages others to be content in Christ. I must know that. I must know that Christ is enough is enough. Because when we see somebody who, who shouldn't have joy, have joy. When we see somebody who's, who through their situation, everything about them should have changed and it doesn't, that gives us hope. That says, what, what, what in them has joy? Why do they have enough? They have enough because they have Christ and Christ is enough. And Christ is enough. So I, I just ask that we would, we would lean in this morning. We're going to close in worship. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to finish in worship. We're going to sing this. We've sung this song a lot of times at Harvest. Maybe you sang it a, a time ago, or you've sang it every time, and you haven't really believed it. Because I think there have been times I've sung this song, Christ is Enough, and I haven't really believed it. Just ask that you would ask the Lord. I'm going to ask the Lord right now that he would give us the faith to believe that Christ is enough. That he would give us the faith to know that he desires us to run through his playbook. To set my mind on Christ. To increasingly believe the truth. That there is a purpose outside of myself to see and know that my joy is permanent and my situation is irrelevant. Why don't you stand with me? Father, I just, uh, would you send your spirit on this place right now? Right again, Father, afresh, Lord. 
God, we bring many ways of false thinking here. God, we bring many things that just aren't true. We think we think we need this or we have to do that. Or, But Father, if we sit in you right now, if we have a life in you, God, we have everything we need. God, I'd ask, Lord, that you would just take that truth, Lord, and you divert it 200 different directions into every single person's heart that sits in this place right now. Create in us, oh Lord, a new mind. God, just shape our mind, renew our mind to think how you think, Lord. To not be anxious, but to be thankful, to be grateful. Give us new eyes to be grateful, to be thankful, to see God work in someone, to see God work through something. God, create in us a a new self that we wouldn't think about ourselves as much as we do, God. Just take the thoughts of myself away. Would I be selfless? Would you preoccupy my thoughts with thoughts of you and then thoughts of one another? God, create in us a new knowledge, God, a new knowledge of you, not in some head knowledge that doesn't affect the way we walk or the way we talk or the way we act, God, but a, a real deep, believing faith that affects everything we do, the way we walk, the way we love, the way we help a brother, the way we tell truth to a sister, all the same. Do it because we're desperate for you to do it. Pray this in Jesus' name.